0: To Galatians chapter three, as you are, and as we think about that text, I do want to take a moment for us to pray together and just focus our hearts um, during this time on God's word and ask Him to help us to do that. So let's pray. Father God, I am thankful. I'm thankful that that you are the one who has begun a good work in us and that you are the one that is going to bring that good work to completion. Father, this morning we've already sung about, Lord, the amazing grace, Lord, that we have found through faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, we've thought about our testimony through song, Lord, as we've thought about uh, us coming to Calvary and, and recognizing our need for a Savior. And Jesus, the one who died, being that Savior. Lord, as we've thought about you being the one that has overcome all of the things in our life, that we could not overcome on our own. And so, Lord, I pray now that as we see that, not in lyrical form, but in text form, Father, that we would this morning focus on this truth, that we would be reminded, Lord, of of how it is that we are saved. Lord, we would think back on that time of our conversion and our receiving of Christ's righteousness. And, Lord, it would remind us of our great and desperate need for you and your grace and love towards us. So, Father, help our hearts and minds to be focused during this time and not distracted by things inside this room or things outside of this room, things from yesterday or things to come later. Lord, help us to just enjoy the opportunity to sit together under the teaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I want to ask you a question as we kind of think about these Galatians that Paul is addressing here, and we think about some of the things that they were dealing with and what that might look like in our life. I'll ask you, have any of you ever had some type of uh, reason that you started to change something major in your life and you started out pretty strong with doing whatever it was that you decided to do differently, but later kind of veered off track or waned in your enthusiasm for that thing. Have you ever had that sort of experience before that kind of New Year's resolution type experience? Maybe you went to the doctor for an annual checkup and because of cholesterol numbers or this or that, you you saw yourself as not being as healthy as you, should be, would like to be, and so you decide, I want to change some things. So you change your diet, and you change your uh, pattern of exercise, and you change when you're going to bed and when you're waking up to get enough sleep, and, and you really start out strong for a time. But as that doctor's appointment grows further into the past, or as that that moment of looking in the mirror grows further into the past. Kind of your enthusiasm for sticking to this also grows a little bit colder. Or maybe you you recognize at one point because of something that a co-worker said or a friend said that, that you were not the person that you needed to be spiritually. That your witness and the way that others saw you and the way that... Um, that you influence people around you was not what it needed to be. So you started this this pattern of you're reading your Bible much more regularly. You were attending church uh, every time that there's an opportunity, you were seeking being discipled by somebody else older and spiritually mature in the church, and you're doing these things well, but again, as that That initial experience kind of faded, so did your enthusiasm. Have you ever done this? I think most of us can probably relate in one way or another. And I think sometimes when we get off track from doing the right thing, what we really need to do is to just look back and ask the question, why did we ever begin doing this in the first place? And that's really what I believe we see Paul doing with the Galatians here in chapter 3. So if you've been with us in Galatians for a little while now, Paul spent a good bit of time addressing directly the, the Jewish Christians that had dealt with some issues, but he's now turning his attention from them back to the Galatians. He's talking to the original recipients of this letter here directly. And if, if you don't remember kind of the context of what he's addressing with the Galatians is that they were lost people who heard the gospel. Paul came to them serving as a missionary, and Paul shared the gospel with them, and he told them about Jesus. And these lost people responded in faith, and they became Christians. And as we're kind of talking in this process here, that's a strong beginning. They recognize their need for Christ. They pledged allegiance to Christ. They began following Christ. But later, after Paul had left, down the road a ways, somebody came along and started to teach them, hey, that's a good start, having faith in Jesus, receiving God's grace. That's a good start, but you really need to follow the Old Testament law and have faith if you're going to be acceptable to God. And so they had turned from a firm stance of we are accepted by God because of our faith in Jesus to we're maybe somewhat accepted by God because of our faith, but we also need to add to that. And with that kind of veering of track in mind, people who initially knew that Jesus was all they needed, but who later thought that It was Jesus and something else. Let's look to see how Paul calls them to look back on their initial experience with Christ to their salvation experience of receiving his righteousness to help them to remember that Jesus is still all that they need. So look with me in the text, Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. He said, O foolish Galatians! Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. So in, in this verse, there are a couple of things that may stand out to you. Right? Anytime that we see an apostle beginning a text of inspired scripture, that God is inspiring him to refer to people as foolish, it is striking. And I believe it's meant to be striking. I believe that Paul is really trying to get their attention. Not only does he call them, or at least what they're doing foolish here, uh, he doubles down in just a minute and uses the same term again, right? Foolish Galatians. These foolish people are doing foolish things. And so that catches our attention. But then he also asks a question that really seems odd in New Testament piece of Scripture. Who has bewitched you? Right? So... Halloween's just around the corner. Bewitching may be something that we think about a little bit. It's not a word that you read about in scripture very often. So I do want to define it just quickly, just the word, the way that he's using it at least. What does it mean? So bewitching means putting someone under a spell so that they no longer could think according to reason. That's the idea here, right? That It's as if somebody has put a spell on you and it's caused your mind to not even be able to think logically or with reason. And so, let me ask you, as you kind of see this and hearing the context, are you kind of tracking with Paul with what he's trying to do here in verse 1? He's really trying to kind of shake them and get their attention, right? For him, it was so foolish, so incomprehensible that any believer, whatever, any believer who knew the truth of the gospel, right? Who knew of Jesus' atoning death and Jesus' glorious resurrection, who knew of the sufficiency of Jesus' death and resurrection, that any believer would ever be led to think that Jesus' death and our faith in him were insufficient is an incomprehensible idea in Paul's mind. There's no way that anybody that knows who Jesus is and what Jesus has done would ever think of faith as a starter pack That kind of gets you going, but later you have to renew it or buy more of something by your good works. It makes no sense to him. He cannot understand how anybody would ever think that the efficient, completely sufficient death of Jesus was not enough. But that's exactly what had happened with these Galatians. They had began to believe... This true so if I'm paraphrasing Paul here this is what I would say guys you know better you personally know of the freeing and transforming power of the gospel you know how sufficient faith in Jesus Christ is so apparently somebody has come along and put a spell on you because if you were thinking straight there's no way that you would ever think that the gospel needs to be supplemented by anything else. That's what Paul is saying here. Paul is speaking with a striking and direct tone, saying to them, this makes no sense. You are not thinking reasonably. Because if you were, you would think back on Jesus' death that you know about, and you would know that it's enough. So point one this morning is this, faith alone is sufficient for salvation. Not faith plus something else, no, faith alone, it without anything added to it, is fully and completely sufficient for all of our sins to be forgiven. For all of our eternity to be secure. And he's trying to remind them of this truth. That again, let me remind. You, this is not news to them. They know this. They understand this. At one point in time, they publicly professed to this, which is why Paul is kind of hitting pretty heavy whenever he brings it up to them, as if they forgot it. So there's a guy that I know, and I'm not going to say his name because some of you know him as well. Some of you may put it together just from the context, but. He's a great brother, let me say this, he's a great brother and I love him and he served at multiple churches for decades and he is solid and he has a very distinct, strong Christian worldview, but for a good portion of his years in ministry, he was bivocational and he was both a minister and he served as a teacher and a coach. I think he had a good philosophy of coaching, at least in the beginning. I think if you had asked him, hey, brother, so-and-so, what do you think the the goal of coaching junior high or high school basketball is? I think he would have told you things like, well, developing young men and women to be young men and women, uh, teaching them the fundamentals so that they understand those sort of things, helping them cultivate a love for the game itself, uh, teaching them how to be part of a team, helping them understand how to receive feedback and criticism and coaching. right. These, these are kind of the goals that we have, particularly if you're coaching a, a junior high, a younger group, this is what you're trying to do. And I believe he knows that and understands that. But at one point in time, kind of close to a couple of decades into coaching. I know this brother, and he had kind of shifted to the point where the main goal appeared to be winning games. To the point that he would sometimes even ask his team to do unsound things. Things that if you're just a basketball coach, you would say, why would you ever? teach a kid to do that, but it's because that particular thing gave them an advantage to possibly win more games. And so, if you're seeing what I'm working with here, we're talking about somebody who started down a road for a good reason, and he knew why he was going down that road, and he knew exactly what he was doing, and it was very honorable, and it was very admirable, but at some point in time along the way, His mind lost track of why he began, and when he lost track of why he began, he started to do things that he shouldn't have ever been doing in the first place, like focusing more on winning than on developing young men and women. Now, I'm not condemning this brother in any way because, again, I think that we all can relate Because we have all done similar things in our life. But why did I tell you the story? Because I think that Paul sees here in the Galatians the same thing. Or at least a very similar thing. They, They came to Jesus with great intention. They came to Jesus because they recognized we are lost. And without you, we are hopeless. And our lives will continue to be a wreck as they have always been a wreck. And then we're going to die and we're going to be condemned to hell forever. They recognized that and they recognized that Jesus was the only one that could deliver them from their sins. And that Jesus was the only one that could forgive them of their sins. And that Jesus is the only one that could deliver them from the condemnation of their sins. that would result in them going to hell forever. And so they came to Christ and they professed their, their need for him. They fell for him and they declared him Savior and Lord Paul had seen that. He was with them when they did that. Paul likely, as I've been able to do with many of you, Paul likely sat down with them and heard them say things like, I know I cannot make it without Jesus. I, I know that, that if I have Him and I have His forgiveness, that I have everything that I need, but if I do not have Him, that I am hopeless. Paul likely sat down and heard them say Things like that. And so to know that was their beginning and why they came to Christ in the first place and how they knew that they were saved to then later hear that those same people were leaning on their own good works and thinking that's what was making them acceptable to God just made made him shake his head and say, guys, what has happened in between where you started and where you are now, that's led you to think that you're sufficient to add anything to the work that Jesus has done. Kind of like if I went to that brother and said, man, do you see what you're doing here? Do you remember why you began? And so Paul, as he calls them foolish, and as he asks who has bewitched them, he also points them back to Jesus' death that is the cause or the the effect that has allowed them to become saved, to receive God's grace. The effect of that death brought salvation to them. And so he wants them to remember it. And in verse 2, he does the same thing, but a little bit more directly. He says, let me ask you only this. I only want you to tell me one thing. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Right. This is a very direct question. There's no really third option here. Here's what he says. Now, just the context in case we're not on the same page. Every single Christian receives the Holy Spirit when they become Christians. When we have faith in Jesus Christ and become Christians, we receive the Holy Spirit... Ephesians 1.13 tells us that, that, that us, us receiving the Holy Spirit is the seal of God's promise of salvation. right? So this is, this is our understanding. When you become a Christian, you receive the Holy Spirit. Paul here is referring back to that time. He's saying, think about when you received the Holy Spirit, and clearly they knew that they'd received the Holy Spirit. Verse 5 leads some scholars to think that maybe it's because them receiving the Holy Spirit, it allowed them to do miracles, and we don't know that for sure. But we know this, the Galatians knew when they received the Holy Spirit. And so Paul says, think about that time. Think about when you received the Holy Spirit. And they say, okay, I can remember that. What do you want to know about it? And he says, did that happen because you did some good stuff, or did that happen because you had faith in Jesus Christ? Just such a brilliant question the rhetorical uh, acumen that, that Paul displays in Galatians is amazing. It, it's this, I, Friends, think back on the time you received the Holy Spirit. Did it happen because of some works in your life that God looked at you and he was so impressed with what Zach Kilpatrick was doing that he said, man, I need to come alongside him and give him the Holy Spirit because he's doing great stuff. Like, Zach's got there so much that I want to get in and be part of that. I'm going to buy some stock. And and Zach Kilpatrick. Or is it the fact that you realized that you were nothing without his help. And you called on him to give you strength and help and to deliver you. And when you did. He gave you the powerful miraculous work and strength of the Holy Spirit. By placing him inside of you. Undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. Their answer was when we had faith, right? This is clear. It's a rhetorical question, but it's one of those rhetorical questions that everybody knows the answer to. We received the Holy Spirit when we had faith. And when he asked that question and they have to give that answer, Paul's really, for the most part, I believe, fulfilled his intent in what he's trying to do here, right? His intention was to make them think back On their initial salvation experience. And that when they looked back on that experience. And realized that they were completely saved. Saved to the uttermost. By having faith in Jesus Christ. That there was, there was no gap at the end. There was nothing lacking. There was nothing extra that they needed. No, they were completely righteous and accepted by God when they had faith in Jesus Christ. When they realized that, Paul is basically saying, and it's what he's going to say in verse 3, so why has that changed? Right, here's the question. If you were saved and completely saved and saved to the uttermost then what has changed? How have you lost your salvation? How have you needed to change and add something to it since then? How have you become sufficient on your own since then that your works are now adding something to your salvation? This thought process is very useful for us. And I will say as a side note, I believe it's one of the reasons that it's important that we regularly observe the Lord's Supper. Because when we hold the cup that appears to us to be, it's representing the blood of Jesus Christ and the the piece of bread or cracker that represents his body, it's a reminder to us that the reason that we are saved is because Jesus Christ died in our place. And the work that Jesus Christ has done is completely sufficient for us. And the more often we are reminded of that and how much we need him, the better off we are. So Paul says, think back on how you became Christians, and is that not enough now? And the answer is, no, it is enough now. And verse 3 is really the only verse we're going to look at anymore with length this morning for time's sake. But this verse is one that I think hits pretty hard for the Galatians. I think when we think about the implications of it, it will probably hit hard for some of us as well. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Now, I believe that when the Galatians answered the rhetorical question of verse 2 and realized that they were saved... By faith alone. And then we're asked, well then are you so foolish to think that you began by the power of God through the Holy Spirit, but something has changed and you can now bring that work about by your own good or your own strength or your own smarts. I think that's what he's talking about with the flesh here. That it probably would have felt somewhat like a dagger And the heart to them. Because you have to realize this is not just a question. This is a pointed question. And it's a pointed question because of this. They've been living like they graduated from the gospel. And are now okay on their own. That's the problem with the Galatians. The problem with the Galatians is at one point they knew that Jesus was their only hope, but since then they've changed their mind or changed their heart to think that it's about Jesus and what they can do. And so Paul says, when did anything change to make it no longer that you were completely dependent on Jesus and made it so that you are now able to add something to the work that Jesus has done? And when I heard that, I thought, oh, that has to have hurt So bad for the Galatians to be asked that. And then I thought, oh, but how bad does that hurt for me to be asked that question? At one point, they knew that they were absolutely and utterly dependent on him. If he didn't save them, they were lost and they would remain lost. If he did not help them, then they would be helpless forever. That he was their only hope and without him, they were completely hopeless and they were headed for hell that they knew that He was their Lord and their Savior and their guide and their sustainer and their shield and their deliverer and His Spirit was all of their strength and His Word was their only guide, that they were like sheep and He was like the shepherd. They knew that, but at some point they lost sight of it and they started to depend on themselves and what they could do and how smart they were. that they no longer felt fully dependent on God. It's as if they had graduated from their need for Him. I believe that's what Paul is getting at when he says, Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected or being brought to the end by the flesh or by your own ability? Point two this morning is this. God alone is sufficient for maintaining salvation. And I, I want to take that point 10 different ways. I think I rewrote that point three or four different times this week. I rewrote it again this morning. It, it, I could really just stop at God alone is sufficient. Whatever you want to say after that, God alone is sufficient to guide us, to save us, to maintain our salvation, to get us to heaven. For whatever you want to say there, God is the one that is sufficient for that, and we are not. And at one point, we knew that, but I think sometimes we lose sight of it. Let me take a breath. Tell you a story. You know, I can vividly remember teaching my kids to ride a bike. Any of y'all had that experience? You can remember teaching your kids to ride a bike? So if you can remember it as you think about it, and I've been able to do this a few times now, still got a few to go, but but as you're starting to teach them, you're kind of holding the handlebars alongside them, right? They're sitting on the bike, and you've taken off the training wheels at this point, so they're sitting on the seat, and you're holding the handlebars, and they're holding the handlebars, and so you've coached them up on all the stuff when they had the training wheels. You've talked about, hey, when I let go, you've really got to pedal, right? If you don't keep pedaling, you're going to fall over, and don't turn too sharp, and Right, you've you've talked about all the stuff. I remember coaching up all of the things. But I can also remember this look in my kids' eyes when I say, All right, I'm gonna let you go. This this look when they look up and there's just this this terror in their eyes, this fear. Dad, don't let go. That don't dad, don't let go, because if you don't continue to hold me up, I'm going to fall. Right, I can can picture this. In my kids' eyes, in my mind, I can see it. You have to hold these handlebars or I'll never make it. But eventually they get past that. Right, they get to the point where all they need is a push. You give them a push and they can go. And then eventually they get to the point where they don't even need the push. They can just ride the bike. And brothers and sisters... It's as if these Galatians, it's as if some of us at one point were these fearful children looking at God saying, if you don't hold me up, I will fall. I cannot make it without you. But at some point, something has changed in our life. I don't know what it is for you. I know what it was for the Galatians. It was a false teacher. Somebody told them a lie and they believed the lie. Maybe that's what happened for you. We live in a society that values and teaches self-sufficiency and the ability to bring about self-help. Right? You don't need anybody else. You can do this on your own. Right? That is very prevalent. And maybe you've just heard that enough times that you're applying it to your spiritual life. I don't need God. I can do this on my own hard work and perseverance, and I'll make it happen. Maybe for you, it's just a a miscalculation about how capable you are. That's for some of us. We just think that we're able to do more than we're really able to do. I think I'm smarter than I am. I think I'm more capable. I think that I'm a better leader on my own then I really am. So maybe some of us we we just miscalculate how capable we are and maybe for some of us it's because we misjudge how strong Satan and the temptation to sin in our life is. I mean that that temptation is strong brothers and sisters and if you think if you think that at one point you needed God's help to overcome that, and you don't anymore, let me just tell you, you are being foolish. You are being foolish if you think that you're just stronger than any temptation that comes your way without the power of God's Holy Spirit living inside of you. If you think about you, if you think you have the ability to bring about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, if you think you can bring about any of those things in your life apart from the work of the Spirit, You're being foolish. I believe that's what Paul is telling us, what God's Word is telling us here. Brothers and sisters, not only is God able to maintain our salvation, but only God is able to maintain our salvation. I understand that's confusing, so I had them put it on the screen. He is able to do it, but I want you to know that only He is able to do that. Only He is able to keep you from sin. Only He is able to show you the right paths in life. Only He is able to do these things. There's a great quote I read this week. It's by a guy named Richard Longnecker. He's a scholar. He's writing about Galatians. And he said, what Paul wants his converts to see is that the Christian life is one that starts is maintained and comes to culmination only through dependence on the activity of God's Spirit. It starts there, it's maintained there, and it's only going to come to an end by God's grace. Not because we at some point became sufficient on our own. So if you're here this morning and you feel self-sufficient, feel like you can depend on yourself, to do these spiritual things, let me tell you, that line of thinking is foolishness. It is, and it always will be. So, when I see people like the Galatians, who, have become, who began as Christians, but who have become legalists, I see in them a problem. I see in them a concern. One that concerned Paul greatly. He wrote a book of the Bible to address it under God's inspiration. But also, whenever I see Christians who have no desire to read God's Word, when I see Christians who rarely ever pray, because apparently they don't feel like they need God's help or guidance in the things that they're dealing with, when I see Christians who are rarely ever seeking the strength of the Holy Spirit, When I see Christians who feel like they have no need for the discipleship of the church, of other Christians that have lived life and gained wisdom through experience with God, pouring into them, that concerns me. And that concerns me greatly because I think what I'm seeing there is somebody that's saying, God, let the bike go and I'll ride it myself. When he's saying, brothers and sisters, if it had training wheels, you couldn't ride this thing on your own. You need me to hold it up. We don't ever spiritually graduate from needing God to hold it up. John 15, 5, Jesus says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Listen to this last part. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Brothers and sisters, if you've lost sight of you needing God to hold the bike up, I pray that today that you're reminded through the example of the Galatians, learn it the easy way, not the hard way, that where you began in a desperate and absolute need for God's help is where you are now. It's where we are now. This is where I am. Desperately needing God's help every single day. And that's where we will always be. We'll never graduate from it. The gospel is not the down payment that gets our foot in the door and then we take over from here. No, it is everything for us. We need Him. We did need Him. We do need Him. And we will always need Him. Without the strength of God's Holy Spirit working in our life, sin will crush us and it would crush us every day of the week. Without God providentially working out millions of things around us that we cannot see every moment of every day, our lives would run out of control. We can't always see it. Brothers and sisters, trust God's Word. If He's not doing this great work, it's not being done. We need Him. So this morning, let me say, if you are here, and you're hearing all about how desperately we need God, and you say, I don't know God, now go back to that part where we began, brothers and sisters, there's good news because you can know God and you can have his help and you can have his strength. Your life feels like it is out of control right now. You feel like sin has some hold on you that you can't break, that's because you can't. But Jesus is God, and He left heaven and He came here and He died a perfect atoning death, and then He came back from the dead. He's defeated death, He's defeated sin. And if you'll come and declare him as your Savior and Lord, not, you don't have to come. If you'll declare him as your Savior and Lord, if you'll call on him to be the one that's in charge of your life, you'll receive that power over sin. You'll receive God's Holy Spirit. You'll receive eternal life. This is great news. Free for all of us because of the work that Christ did. Praise God. But I also want you to hear this. If you're here, brothers and sisters, and you knew that at one point, but you recognize now that you've kind of lost sight of that, let's just look back. Here in a minute, we're going to hand you a cup. It's going to have juice that looks like blood. And when you look at it, remember that Jesus' death, even His dying, is more powerful than any moment that you will ever live. And that if you depend on Him rather than depending on yourself, that you'll have all that you need. I know that sounds over-spiritual and you think that's just preacher talk, but I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, it's true. And if you're here and you know that you know that God's your only hope and you haven't lost sight of that, then praise Him for that. I am going to invite you to stand. Our praise team's going to come down and our deacons are going to come down as well because we're actually, our deacons are going to come around and pass out the elements for the Lord's Supper, while we're singing our response hymn. This morning we're going to sing, In Christ Alone, a reminder, right? A great reminder that all of our hope and all of our help is found in Christ and in Christ alone. So we're going to sing this song, and as we sing this song, and as you look at these elements, I pray that you would just use this time to reflect. You don't have to sing. You might just want to pray. You might just want to sit and meditate. You can take these, and if you look in front of you, the the chair in front of you, there's a little place in the rack that you can set the cup, and it'll hold it for you. And you can just pray, or you can come down here and see me, and I'll pray with you. But use this time of reflection and response to do whatever the Lord's leading you to as Brother Shane and the praise team lead us in this hymn of response.